Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Man, I, I, I'm blown away. I look out and I see visitors get on their knees with us. Praise God for that. Amen? I, mean, I, I, I always say, Lord, what are people going to think? And God's like, it's in my word. Let them see it. Amen? Amen? Those of you joining online, we're glad to have you as well. John chapter 6, we'll pick up with where we left off before Father's Day. We'll have another break for 4th of July. If we would just stop having holidays, get through this thing. But no, I actually don't really do all of them, just as I feel led. In the last two, I do feel led. Uh, verse 22, John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. We're glad to even give it to you if you don't have a Bible. John chapter 6, verse 22. On the following day, the following day being the day before they had had the feeding of the 5,000, on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which, Jesus, which his disciples had entered. And Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Let's pray. Father, we ask again for the help of your spirit, the ministry of your spirit, the work of your spirit. Clear our minds. Lord, calm our hearts here that we are singly set upon hearing from you. Settle us. Remove every distraction. Lord, may we draw near to you. If anyone doesn't know you, today would be the day of salvation for them. I pray you'd remove me from the equation. I pray for your anointing, your help, your strength, your wisdom, your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We left off with some tired but amazed and encouraged disciples who had uh, been seen and were part of one of Jesus' greatest miracles. I remember it was in all four Gospels. Only to be sent over the Sea of Galilee into the face of fierce winds and storms that ends up being hours of rowing. How many of you have been rowing since then? I have. Still rowing. But as long as you're rowing the direction of Jesus, keep rowing. And by the middle and the wee hours of the morning, there they were even more exhausted. And then Jesus shows up, just walking on the sea like I'm walking on the stage, just walking effortlessly up to them. And they go from exhausted and frustrated to petrified to joyful 
to comforted. We like joyful and comforted, don't we? Yeah. The other two, we're not so big on, exhausted and petrified. All in a matter of minutes. And as soon as they willingly bring Jesus into the boat, everything calms and they immediately are at their destination. Immediately there. And by the way, Jesus is always the reason we arrive. Always the reason. If you made it here safe this morning, Jesus is the reason. You, if you made it from a flight recently, Jesus is the reason. If you actually got up this morning and had breath in your lungs, Jesus is the reason. If you're going to make it another 20, 30, 40 years, Jesus is the reason you're going to arrive. You can't, you can't manufacture deliverance or help or strength. It all comes from the Lord. The place they left, remember they saw five loaves of bread become thousands of pieces of bread. And the fish, too. There's not a lot of mention of the fish. They were there, too, but... That you see food eaters, it focused on the bread. Everything here focuses on the bread. And that came, became thousands of pieces of bread. And as they exit the boat here at Capernaum, or near Capernaum, bread will remain the prominent theme in this text. Bread will remain the prominent theme, but of a far greater nature than the bread that they just ate of and that they just saw. If you're taking notes here this morning, you see the title, the bread of life came down from heaven. The bread of life came down from heaven. If you're taking notes, the first thing we want to look at this morning of three, seeking security and provision. Seeking security and provision. I'm speaking of the crowd that is trying to locate Jesus. If the crowds were, in fact, migrating towards Jerusalem for the Passover, they take a clear detour here because they go back across the lake, or, or the Sea of Galilee, it's like a lake. It's more of a lake than it is anything else. It's a big lake. But they're trying to find Jesus. Remember, Jesus didn't get into the boat, yet the boat's gone, and he's gone. Now, some additional boats arrive from Tiberias, and those boats will eventually take many of the people to Capernaum. You'll remember, uh, I put this map, oh, not this map, this picture up, although uh, I have some orientations on it. And the feeding of the 5,000, if, if we're standing here on the east side, the feeding of the 5,000 is there on the Golan Heights. And Tiberius is on the other side. Tiberius is over there on the northwestern side, or the, just the straight western side. You go straight west across and is Tiberius. And then you have Capernaum up there on the northwestern corner. And you see the little red mark with Capernaum. The boat, that's the disciples' boat. Not really their boat. It's my representation of their boat. So you see that they make it from there to there, and then eventually the crowds are going to follow. I don't think that there was enough boats for all 5,000, 15, 20,000, but enough of the crowd is able to get over on boats, and maybe some of the rest walk. We don't know. At any rate, they're headed to Capernaum to relocate Jesus. And they don't encounter any of the storms, as best we can tell. The disciples entered. They just go straight across, no big deal. Now, Jesus had fed thousands of people. They just saw this. He had healed thousands of people. Many of them had been healed. Think about it. If you or I had found someone who can single-handedly heal us and feed us, don't you think health care and, and food are two pretty big deals in your life? I mean, you're paying a lot for insurance, right? If you're not paying for it, your employer's paying for it, and it, ultimately you're paying some way. Healthcare is a big expense. 
Food is a big expense. They're big needs, and that's a huge percentage of our ongoing needs and expenses as human beings. Just think of it, though. If Jesus could add housing, we're pretty much set. Well, not in America. We have fuel costs, which is like going like this. But, um, but you're really close to getting all of your needs met if you have each of these. Everyone that you meet, everyone around you, everyone in this world, by nature, our human nature is to, we're trying to survive. We're trying to live. We want to thrive. We don't just want to live. We want to thrive. We want to drink things that taste good. We want to eat things that taste good. But we also want to survive because we know it's a difficult, dangerous world. You like air conditioning because you don't prefer it to be 100 in your house. Right? And you say, I wouldn't survive. If, you know, we were talking about this. Uh, I was talking about this with some men this week. You know, people back in like Civil War times didn't know anything about air conditioning. Right? They wore wool coats to battle and fought for like five consecutive days. I mean, like, how did they? It's a will to survive, to live, to overcome these things. And so Jesus knows all this. It's part of our inborn nature. But it's also our inborn nature. We want our basic needs taken care of. Don't you want your basic needs taken care of? He even said, when you pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread, the basic needs. Everyone wants, everyone wants food. Everyone wants something to eat. Everyone, most people I know want a working body. That's why when we pray for healing, we have people come. The front is packed. Everybody needs something. Everybody needs the basic provisions, a job, a home, a transportation. You know the basic essentials of today, right? iPhone, cable TV, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Starbucks, new clothes, new car, new everything. But seriously, the skewed American uh, perspective aside, the seeking of health and food and basic provisions and to, to the desire to enjoy life, um, you know what it really is? It's a pursuit of security. What, that's what people are pursuing. They want to be secure. They want to know that they're secure, to be safe, to be cared for. Jesus knows that people are looking for these things. He knows this, and he purposely met their physical needs. Why? To open up their soul needs. He gave them physical food so he could open up the conversation to speak to their soul. Yes, you need bread. Yes, they were hungry, but their souls are hungry whether they know it or not. Here's the thing. Did you know that even if your life needs are fully met, I'm speaking to those of you online as well, even if all your life needs are fully met, your net worth is improving over time and continues to improve over time. Even your health gets better. And I've met people that are healthier in their 50s than they were in their 20s. Plenty of people. And even say, well, I'm doing great. My health's getting better. I'm exercising right. And even if you go from your teens to your 20s to your 30s and you stay at or become relatively healthy and fit, and all the way from your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, guess what? Eventually your life still ends. <coughs> it still comes to an end. Then what? That's what Jesus would say to the rich young ruler or to anybody else. Then what? And it happens faster than we think, doesn't it? The, the, the poor folks in, 
in Miami there, it happened in seconds. No one saw it coming. If they did, you better believe they wouldn't have spent the night there. I saw one story of a lady who um, her dog had to use the restroom and would not stop until he, she, she had to go out and take the dog out at like 1 or 2 in the morning, and once she was out, the building collapsed. I think the dog heard the creaking and the groaning and everything else. Like, I, you, we both got to get out of here. But you just never know life is short. You can't meet your basic needs. You can only have God meet all those needs. But the greatest need is in the soul. And so Jesus said to the crowd, he said, you sought me out because you were fed with fish, you were fed with bread and loaves, and you're thinking of your physical needs. And we all think of our physical needs. And you've worked really hard to find me. You, you got boats, you got over here, you've, you came to find where I'm at. And to find provisions in those things that you think are going to help improve your life here on earth. But there is a life after this earth that Jesus is saying, you're not thinking about that. You're not seeing the afterlife. For that, you need a different kind of bread. Jesus is saying, you need a different bread for that. The bread that I gave you over there is not going to solve your greatest problem. It's a bread, it's a food that gives eternal life. And Jesus said, that bread, that food, it comes directly from him through the Father, who has set his seal on him. What does it mean when Jesus said, he has set his seal on me? It means, I have full authority. He set his seal, his signet ring, if you will. I have all the authority to give life. Their immediate response. So what work should we do to get this life or get this bread? They still were thinking bread. What work should we do? Jesus' answer is simple. Verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe. There's a lot of weight in that word, isn't there? It's not a simple belief. Demons believe in Jesus and they are not going to heaven. We'll get back to that. There's a lot of weight in the word belief. In other words, he says, believe in him whom the Father sent. In other words, believe in me, in me on me, fully on me. We might assume that they've seen miracles, they've seen Jesus do all these things, and they follow him to Capernaum. Surely they already believe, right? I mean, surely every one of these people believe. We'd be wrong. They do not yet believe. And Jesus knows their hearts, and he knows what question they're about to ask and reveal about their own hearts. Pick it up with me. Let's continue reading. Verse 30, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe in you? Unbelievable, huh? What sign will you perform that we may believe and may, we may see it and believe? What work will you do? Our fathers ate man in the desert as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They're still thinking about bread. 
they're still thinking about slices of Wonder Bread. They're still thinking about not Wonder Bread. Nobody. Does anyone still eat that? Oh, anyway, but um, <laughs> that's all I ate as a kid. Now, does it even, did they even sell that anymore? But uh, anyway, I digress. Verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. If you're taking notes, our second point this morning, seeking truth and proof. Seeking truth and proof. The world is constantly saying, follow the science. If I hear it one more time, I'm just kidding. No. I love science. I don't like pseudoscience. And Jesus does not have to prove things he's already proved. People are saying, continue, seek it, seek it, show me, prove it to me, prove it to me. As far as I'm going way ahead, that empty cross is all the proof you need. Amen. Amen. Back to our text here. Remember that this same group of people, when they were on the other side of Galilee, they tried to force Jesus to be their king. Now they issue a challenge to Jesus, a test, if you will, to Jesus. It's like they're saying, we're willing to believe in you if you perform a sign that can get us over the hump of unbelief. We can't get over the hump of our unbelief, but if you'll do, and we'll even tell you the signs if you prefer, and they would have. If you'll do these things, then we'll believe. Once again, we've talked about this in previous weeks, you cannot dictate to Jesus. <laughs> you cannot dictate to the Son of God. You cannot dictate to the Messiah, the Savior, the Creator of the world, God in human flesh what he needs to do. You've heard the stories of the atheists that shake their fists. God, if you're really up there, that does not move God at all. Your time is still going through the hourglass even while you're shaking the fist. You can't force God. You cannot test God. And guess what? You can't influence him. It's his way, his door, and we either enter that or there's not any other option. But he, he presents all this because he loves us, right? Now, you can try, but you'll never move Jesus. You'll never move him at all. You'll never move God the Father. He's presented everything necessary to believe. He certainly presented everything necessary to this audience. It's stunning that this group of people, given what they've already seen Jesus do, thinks they still need more evidence. They still think they need evidence in spite of everything they've seen. Remember, uh, they follow up uh, this absurd uh, challenge, if you will, by giving Jesus a history lesson from the Torah. First they say, if you will do these works, whatever signs, we'll give, if you do these signs, we'll believe they follow that absurd challenge with a history lesson for Jesus. And they start it like this. Our fathers ate man in the desert. They start telling Jesus about what Moses did. Jesus is like, really? Tell me more about Moses. <laughs> what else did he do? Where was he from? Who was his parents? Oh, tell me more about this guy. You know, what, tell me about how this worked out in the desert. And so they really start telling Jesus, this is what happened. 
this is how it worked, this is what Moses did, and you need to do at least equal to all of that. So they give this history lesson. Remember, they've already agreed that Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke of. They, they said, truly, this is the prophet of whom Moses spoke. And the he, lowercase he, they refer to here is Moses. They're referring to Moses. He, he gave us manna. He gave us the bread. Reminding Jesus that Moses gave them manna, which the word manna literally means what is it when they first saw it, to the children of Israel out there in the wilderness. And this reminder of, of them, them reminding Jesus, I believe may also have been to influence Jesus to give them the bread and the food for years to come if Jesus had that power. We don't want one day of food, but as long as we're alive. Most of you, if I said, hey, good news, you have lifetime free groceries from Publix. You would like that better than a one-time $100 shopping spree, right? Lifetime, as long as you want to go. Well, this reminder, if, if they were trying to influence Jesus by telling Jesus, let's uh, let you understand, this is what Moses did. What you did over there was pretty cool. On the other side, you fed five to 20,000 of us. That was awesome. We, fed, we had a good meal. We're hungry again today. <laughs> that's why we're here. We're hungry again because Jesus said, that's why you came, because I gave you food. That manna that Moses gave was for 40 straight years. That's a long time, right? 40 straight years. I'd be 92 if I started getting it now. Their testing of Jesus, though, has absolutely no chance. And the only problem with their talking about Moses giving them all this is Jesus, in their historical review, he turns around and says, Moses didn't give you that. My father gave you that. So he's like, uh, Jesus informs them, Moses can't create manna. It came down from heaven. Now, Moses pointed to it. Moses was God's man. Moses was close to the Lord. Moses said, this is what God is doing for you. Notice, God is doing for you. Moses did not make the manna. He didn't even conjure up the idea of manna. That's why everyone said, what is it? Their testing of Jesus has no chance, but Moses could no more make manna appear than he, he, could make, he couldn't make it appear for a day any more than he could make it appear for 40 straight years. God did that. Nor could Moses create the universe. Nor could Moses um, part the Red Sea or cause water coming out of the rock. He couldn't do any of these things. All of that was God the Father. Jesus saying, my Father did all of these things. And what this crowd of people have unwittingly done, and this happens in your own life too, people will unwittingly say something that, you know, a golf tee, you put the tee down and you put the ball there, and now it's teed up. They have teed up, their question of Jesus has teed up for Jesus to say, now we're on the subject of bread, and now we're on the subject of how long that bread is going to last. You've teed up for me to explain to you why you need this bread, speaking of himself, that's come down from heaven, and the length of time you need it, it's not 40 years, it's eternity. Right. And people will do this in your life in various ways. They'll say something they don't know they're teeing up an opportunity for you to present the living bread. They might say, is this world going crazy or is it just me? And when they say that to you, say, it's not just you. 
the Bible says, right? Yeah, like, you know, you, you've got an opportunity. It's not just you. You're actually seeing the fact that this world is fading away, but there is an answer. And so the, 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 these opportunities will show up in your own life, but Jesus shows us uh, here how he's using this to point them to him. And so this crowd's unwittingly teed this up, and Jesus now begins to uh, explain precisely what the bread and the wilderness foreshadowed. That manna, it did serve a physical need. They actually, they actually were able to eat and live off the manna. But it was pointing to something greater. We all agree with that, right? Amen. Jesus is revealing that that manna was a, prophe- it was a, it was a prophecy in foreshadow that they literally were looking at something that was pointing towards a greater fulfillment that bread that comes down from God. Jesus said, just like manna came down from God, he's like, I'm the bread that's come down from life, uh, come down from heaven. And, and it, sur- it saved the children of Israel. The manna saved the children of Israel from certain death of starvation in the middle of the wilderness. If they did not have the manna, they would have died of starvation. But the better bread, the eternal bread that's in their midst, well, Jesus, the bread that's come down from heaven, he saves us not from starvation, but from our soul having a sin issue and an eternity in hell that only the bread of heaven can solve that issue. Amen? That's what the bread of heaven does. Manna can feed you for 40 years. Our soul has a starvation need that is starving for Jesus. It's not a 40-year solution that he offers. It's an eternal solution all of eternity solution. The crowd's response is similar to the woman at the well when Jesus told her, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. It's a very similar response. They said, Lord, give us this bread always. She thought he, Jesus was talking about well water that would just keep coming out. They think Jesus is talking about an endless bread supply. Similar, like, like the whole manna thing is going to restart all over again. But he was talking about something far greater. And here's what he says. Jesus reasserts, so there's no confusion as to the kind of bread he's talking about. Look at it. There in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread. Now you have no confusion to who he's talking about. Manna, come down from heaven. Who is he talking about? Is this a new manna? No, no, no. He makes it clear. You cannot be confused now. Does he watch online? Jesus makes it clear. I am the bread of life. Uh, whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There it is. Jesus said, I'm the bread. This is the first of what's referred to as the seven I am statements of Jesus found in the book of John. I have all seven up on the screen here, but it's looking ahead all the way up to John chapter 15. If you've heard of the seven I am statements, um, Jesus seven times uses a metaphor to uh, explain his witness in the world and his exclusivity as the only means of salvation. This is the first time he does this. I am the bread of life. He'll go on to say, I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus is making crystal clear on John records all these I am statements that there is no other way. You can't go with Muhammad. You can't go with Confucius. You uh, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, doesn't matter. Islam, 
Hinduism, none of these things. Buddhism, Judaism, because he's speaking to a lot of Jews that they believed in Moses but not in Jesus. Judaism can't save you. One way, one door, one Savior. And we can see the eternal nature of this proclamation. Jesus saying, whoever comes to me will never hunger. Never. Never means what? Never. That's for your deep theological teaching this morning. <laughs> never means never or ever. Or, you know, so uh, never thirst again. A bread that solves both hunger and quenches thirst. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? He said, you'll eat this bread and you'll not thirst either. Because he's talking about the soul. When I talk to people about salvation, I'm like, it's not, God is not speaking to your earlobe. He's speaking to your soul. This is just a bunch of skin. You can lose an earlobe and be just fine. Or you can put a bunch of earrings in it. I've never had an earring yet, dude. So those of you guys that have them, uh, you can do that. But I just, I'm just saying that when God speaks to us, he's not speaking to our skin and bones. He speaks to the soul. It's where we think. It's where we process. It's where we say, I don't believe that, or I believe. The soul. And Jesus is saying, this bread, it reaches the soul's need. It goes past the body all the way to the soul. It saves the soul, but it first has to convince the soul to believe. Uh, and to receive this bread, it requires believing. And Jesus goes on and says, yet you see... Uh, Yet you have seen me and do not believe. He's like, you've literally seen the bread come down from heaven. You don't believe. Interestingly, they had never seen Moses, and they fully believe in Moses. It's like, I've never seen George Washington, and I believe he existed. They'd never seen Moses, but they believe they, they practically worship Moses. And Jesus sees that. But they don't believe in Jesus, who's right in front of them. They've seen the truth of God proclaimed from Jesus' lips. They've seen the power of God in his hands. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the lives of his disciples that he's already transformed. They've seen the sick healed, the possessed, demons cast out. They have seen healed. Many of them have been healed of things like leprosy, and they still don't believe. It's not that God hasn't given enough proof to the whole world that we're all sinners and that he's the only way. People are, God gave this term to Moses in the book of, um, in, in, the, in the Torah, stiff-necked. We choose to be stiff-necked and just say it's called resisting. We resist the truth. There's already enough evidence. But Jesus continues as we should. He still has compassion. And even when you have people that are resisting the gospel, still throw the life preserver out anyway. Amen? Amen. If you were out at sea and someone's in the water and say, I don't want to be saved, I bet you would still throw the life preserver. Wouldn't you? It would be your duty, even if they're saying, don't throw it, guess what you're going to do? You're going to throw it. If you're working for the Coast Guard, doesn't matter. Matter of fact, you'll get in and get them out, right. even if they say, don't come get me. Jesus throws the life preserver anyway. In his case, in our case, it's the gospel that points to him. Last point we'll look at this morning, seeing everlasting life, the whole reason we have this hope. He moves on in verse 36, but I have said to you that you have seen me and do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of whom, him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, 
that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but that I should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Very similar to John 3.16. And I will raise him up at the last day. Last point if you're taking notes. Seeing everlasting life. No matter the current condition of the hearing hearts, and Jesus could see that their hearts were still hard. Jesus could see they were still resisting. Jesus could see they were still not getting it. Jesus could see all that. But there's glimmers of kind of connections happening. And in compassion, he's still speaking to them. He takes the opportunity to explain to them, and I just listed them out. It's in the text, so I don't have time to go through it. But he explains each of these concepts, and he lays them out very eloquently. But, uh, but they are rather, rather complex, all kind of wound together. Number one, he speaks of the sovereignty or the sovereign choosing of God. In other words, that God is sovereign. He can choose anybody he wants. Amen? Amen. He doesn't have to ask you who he chose. Why did he choose the 11 disciples? Because he's sovereign. Why did he make Israel the nation? Because he's sovereign. Why does it have to be 12 tribes instead of 10 tribes? Because he's sovereign. Why does he say there's a trinity? Because he's sovereign. We can go on and on. The sovereignty of God. Number two, the acceptance of Jesus is to all who come to him. Anyone that comes to him, Jesus will accept. You never have to worry about saying to someone, if you go to Jesus, he'll say no to you because you're from that country. doesn't matter where you're from, what your background, your skin color, Everyone will be accepted, but they have to come. Number three, the mission and submission of Jesus in coming to the earth. He was submitted to the mission long before he came. Amen? Amen. Slain before the foundation of the earth, but also uh, he says here very clearly that I came to do the will of my Father. He submitted to the will. He said that in the garden just before he went to the cross, that not my will, but thine. We have the will of God towards all who repent. The Father is willing to give eternal life to anyone who will come. So the God the Father, we see these other passages, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. So we see these other doctrinal pieces are, are found all throughout the scriptures and, and especially in the New Testament where it all kind of is revealed. The essential aspects of believing by faith. You can't come to salvation and, and say, I don't believe in Jesus, but I still want to be saved. You have to believe that Jesus is the only way. It has to be Believing in him, so the essential belief. We have the promise of eternal life. We're not promised a thousand years, we're promised eternity. Amen? There's a big difference between, you know, a thousand years and eternity. A thousand years is like a blip. We're promised eternal life, never ending. Why? Because God is eternal in nature, and we become part of his family. And of course, he has an eternal plan for his family. And then number seven, the promise of the resurrection of the dead. Not only is your soul going to be resurrected, but many of our uh, fathers and mothers in the faith that have long died, their body is now dust. That dust is going to be reassembled into a living body, and there'll be a resurrection from the dead. Graves will open up just like it did at the third day when Jesus rose, and it was a, just a foreshadow. A few graves opened just to show us what it would look like, if that makes sense. So that is, Jesus explains all that, and, a matter of, and he doesn't even give them any kind of background. He just says all that. And then we get to study it for 2,000 years now. We're still like, wow, this is deep. <laughs> and I've barely touched the hem of the garment with all of that. It's very deep. It's incredibly deep. But all of that aside, it's a succinct outline of the will of God through Christ. In other words, the will of God is fulfilled through the physical person of Jesus coming. 
but it also shows us the plight of man without Christ. The opposite of eternal life is what? Eternal death. That's what everyone is born with, eternal death. Jesus said, I can exchange that and give you eternal life. You're already going to eternal death. It's a clear outline of what the unbelieving heart would be rejecting. I don't understand it. Why would anyone reject Jesus? Why would anyone reject eternal life? You could give everyone in this world, you say, hey, you want a billion-dollar check? You will have 100 out of 100 people say yes. Say, would you like eternal life? No. I just said a billion dollars, and you said yes. Then I said eternal life, and you said no. You realize that eternal life is way longer than your life. You get a billion dollars, you could be dead tomorrow. Some of the people that collapsed there in Miami were millionaires. That doesn't buy you a second, does it? Jesus says, you have a soul issue, which brings up a reasonable question, by the way, about rejecting Jesus versus accepting Jesus. A reasonable question in theological debate that's been discussed and dissected for ages. Does a person choose Jesus at all, or is the choice pre-made for us all? You've heard about Calvinism and Arminianism, the frozen chosen versus the free will, right? You've heard of these terms. It is valid to kind of look at it. Um, verse 37, by the way, has been claimed uh, by those who adhere solely to God's sovereign election and selection. And it's also claimed by those that adhere free will. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, he, come to, he came to the conclusion after all of his years of studying that God sovereignly chooses and we get free will. That really bothers some people. You've got to choose one. You get one or the other. It's either free will or we're chosen. But really, the Bible does teach both. Dr. J. Vernon McGee had this to say about this. He said, there are some people that put all their eggs in the basket of election. There are others that put all their eggs in the basket of free will. I'm not proposing to reconcile the two because I have discovered that I cannot. If you had met me in the year that I entered seminary or the year that I graduate, I could have reconciled it for you. I have never been as smart as I was that first year and my last year in seminary. I knew it all then. I could reconcile election and free will, and it was a marvelous explanation. Now I've forgotten what it was. Election and free will are both in this verse. All the Father giveth states a truth about election. He that cometh to me is about truth, the truth of free will. They're both there. Don't get all wrapped around the axle. I don't understand how to reconcile these. Dr. David Stern, who's a Messianic Jewish believer, has come to believe in Jesus, uh, grew up in the Jewish faith, but now as a follower of Christ, he has this to say in his Bible commentary in the New Testament. This is his forthright statement of the paradox of predestination and free will as can be found. The Father has given certain people to Yeshua, other word, uh, the, the, the name of Jesus. How do I find out if I am one of them? By coming to Yeshua. I have free will and can choose to come, and I have Yeshua's word that he will not turn me away. There it is. How do I know I'm chosen? Believe. Just give your life to Jesus, and you become the elect. Revelation 22, verse 17 says, In the spirit of the bride say, Come, and let he who hears say, Come, let he who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take of the water freely. Did God choose us? 
or did we choose him back? Did you choose your spouse, or did your spouse choose you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Nettie. God is, of course, the initiator. Wouldn't you all agree that God's the initiator of our faith? Absolutely God's the initiator. Just like in most cases, the husband is the initiator with the ring and says, will you marry me? Then you have a choice. Not on your life or yes, right? <laughs> Let me think about it. I don't know. I got a yes. She's still right there. <laughs> but um, God's, of course, the initiator, but election goes way deeper than we can understand, and free will's deeper than we can understand. Just accept them by faith. They're in the Bible. Just don't try. You're, if you try, you know this, been, this debate's been raging for 2,000 years, and there's strong, godly men on both sides who will go almost to the death over it. But the point is, you know, I, I, I want to say one other thing, too, about this. I frequently take people back to the Garden of Eden when they're really kind of wondering about this. I say, look, in the Garden of Eden, what did Adam and Eve get right out of the gate? A choice. You're telling me God forced them to eat? He said he can't tempt man, nor does he make a man sin. You're so the choice was legit. They truly could have said, no, I don't want to eat of that. I want to obey God. But we all are sinners. We're all like sheep led astray. They did what we would have done. They violated. They chose to sin. The choice was there. But then they had a choice to be redeemed again. The promise of the Messiah. But the point is, trying to fully understand the intersection of free will and grace and the election versus free will, trying to understand these inter uh, intersections. Um, and I would even add a third that you can't escape is the foreknowledge of God, that he knows everything from eternity. He knows what you're going to decide. And that's people like, so you've got the foreknowledge, the sovereignty, which is not the exact same as foreknowledge. Sovereignty is, I'm choosing this. Foreknowledge is, I know what you're going to do. Two different things. Then you have free will. How do they all get in a blender and work together? God is God. How does the Trinity, how can you be three and yet one? Totally one and totally three in one. And Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. How do you be 100% man and 100% God? Because you're God. That's my answer anyway. Dr. Vernon McGee finally said, uh, you guys figure it out. After years, uh, years of trying to figure it out. But there's also another potential element here. Jesus is the, he is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. And he says, uh, we know that when the, when the church is all come together, is at the very end. And he says, a couple times he says here, at the last day, at the last day, that I, my father, is going to give me, who's going to give the bride to the son? All that the father brings to me, the father will give to me. Jesus will be given by the father the bride. There's also that element in the backdrop, which supersedes even if you're just trying to talk about free will and election, that's also in the backdrop, and that all fits perfectly together anyway because God is in control of how all this works. The beautiful, indescribable gift that Jesus is extending to the crowd in Capernaum and now all the world is salvation and everlasting life. He's saying everything we've talked about, 40 years of bread, one meal of bread, all that, aside, I'm offering you eternal life. Are you going to believe in me or not? That's what he's asking. Do you want to live forever? I, I told you guys I used to love the Crystal Lewis song, Come and Live Forever. We'd sing it at Harvest Crusades. Uh, and just 
That's what he's offering. He's like, I'm giving you the choice to receive me and to receive eternal life that you'll never hunger again, you'll never thirst again. He's promised he'll never cast you out. Once you come in, aren't you glad that Jesus is never going to cast you out? You're going to fall sometime. You're going to mess up, but he's not going to cast you out. And all of this comes through if they will simply believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus means what? We said it's a weighty word at the beginning. It's a heavy word. It's a lot of depth in that word. What does it mean to believe? Well, it means to turn from sin. That's repentance. It means to turn to him and only to him. It means to ask him for forgiveness and trust on him alone for salvation. And anyone that can hear him can respond to that and believe on him at that level. When I talk to people when I'm sharing the gospel with them, I'll ask them, do you believe you can save yourself? Do you, do you believe this religion can save you? Do you believe, you know, I'll just go through a list of things. Do you believe your parents can save you? When they say no, 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 and I say, do you believe Jesus can save you? And they say yes, then I know we're on the right track to get to real belief. Amen? Amen. That to believe only and trust in him and to turn from him. And it tells us this, and again, if you're still free will election, Revelation 10, 11 through 13, the scriptures, uh, I'm sorry, Romans, Romans 10, 11 through 13, without my glasses on, there we go. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever, whoever, you've seen the offer of salvation, the offer that Jesus, he's the only one that can offer salvation. The rest of us, like Moses, we point to the manna, we don't offer the manna. We point to Jesus, we don't offer Jesus. We point to him, but he offers salvation You've seen the offer, but let me ask you here, those of you online, do you personally know the author? You've seen the offer, but do you know the author? And has your life been transformed by his amazing grace? Let's close in prayer. There are heads bowed for just a moment. Lord, we just thank you that you, you saw the soul need of every person person on earth. Lord, right now there's over 7 billion people on the planet. They all have the same soul need to never thirst again, to never hunger again, but Lord, to be forgiven and given eternal life. Jesus, you have stated that you are the bread of heaven. You are the way, the truth, and life. There's not another option. Lord, you saw the problem that we couldn't solve, but you sent the solution that we should never reject or resist, but that we should humbly and softly respond to and receive your grace. And before we just close in worship, I always, when I, when I give the gospel like this, I don't want to not throw out the life preserver. You might have heard the gospel a million times. I don't, I don't want to hear it one more time. Well, you, you're here, and so you got to hear it because God wants you to hear it. And you're online, and you hear it. So I, even if you don't want me to throw out the life preserver. I have to do it because Jesus would do it. And if there's anyone here who says, I want to give my life to Christ today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. You'd never know. I'm telling you, those people in Miami, they had no idea that that was their last week. They would have made other plans had they known. They would never, ever have gone to bed in that building. They would have made other choices. But the problem is we're not omniscient. We can't see the future. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. So we're stuck with saying, God, if you're talking to me, I want to say yes to you now. Is there anyone at all? Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If you want to give your heart and life to Christ, 
or if there's anyone online, although I can't see those online. But anyone here? Yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't want to put it off another day. Anyone at all? I see that hand. you're online and or you're here you can pray uh, in your own words but I'll, I'll lead you and just with your heads bowed just pray and again believing is at the heart level um, you can't even sometimes judge how much you believe just say Lord with the childlike faith that I have I'm praying this prayer that's kind of where you're at Lord I just believe just pray Lord Jesus thank you for coming as the bread of life. Thank you for telling me the truth. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Cleanse me. Forgive me of all of my sins. Wash me. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, for I believe in you. I'm putting my trust in you. Save my soul, for I'm deciding this day to follow you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen, amen. I know it seems so simple, but this, the message is simple. Our hearts are hard, and the answer, when it's from the heart, it'll change you forever, amen? amen. Why don't you stand as we close in worship? Give God a hand for speaking to people.